We have uh, two readings for this afternoon's worship service, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. Uh, the first one is the chapter of Isaiah 53, followed by the uh, text of Luke 23. So if we all turn to Isaiah chapter 53, and we'll be reading the entire chapter. Just starting from verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and a root out of dry ground. He has no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him, esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. We are like sheep that have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, as, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out the land of the living stricken for the transgression of my people. And I made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Father to crush him. He was put to grief. With, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he brought the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now would you please turn to um, the New Testament reading being Luke chapter 23. That's Luke chapter 23, 23, where we pick up the reading from verse uh, 26 through to 34. Uh, verse 26 and they led him away uh, and they led, and as they led him away they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus and there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting with them but turning to them Jesus said daughters of Jerusalem do not weep for me but weep for yourselves and for your children. Behold, the days are coming when they will say, 
Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. And they shall begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. And if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who are criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they were there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they, have, what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. So far, God's, God's word. About 10 years ago, I came across a book in our church library um, called The Seven Sayings of Our Saviour on the Cross by A.W. Pink. Um, and uh, it really impacted on me at the time. And um, a few weeks ago, I came across a similar series on our Reformed Church website written by John Harverland. And uh, there's seven of them, and it's my intention over the coming year, or hopefully years, um, to make my way through them. Uh, is uh, reading services. I notice um, behind me, or the, the verse that's behind me is verse 24 of Luke, and actually our text should be um, the first of the sayings that Jesus made, which is verse 34. Um, the title of the sermon is, Father, forgive them. I'll just read verse 34, which actually I think from memory says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Brothers and sisters in our, in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Ernest Hemingway once told a story to illustrate the popularity of the Spanish name Paco. And the same story also illustrates the deep desire many of us have for forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, a father, he said, went on a journey to Madrid to put an ad in the local paper and the ad read, Paco. Meet me at the Hotel Montana at noon Wednesday. All is forgiven. The next day at about noon, the local authorities had to get together a squadron of local police to disperse the mob of nearly 800 young men who had massed on the street in front of the inn. And all of these young men wanted to meet their father who had forgiven them for their past. To be forgiven... This is the deepest desire of every human being on earth. And, and sometimes we squash that desire. Or, or we blunt our conscience so we don't realize our great need. Yet the need is there because of the guilt we carry before an almighty God. We need forgiveness. It's so important. And yes, we, as Christians, we come to realize this. Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross so that all who turn to him in faith may be forgiven. He even prayed that God the Father would forgive those involved in his death. These words are the first of the seven words that Jesus um, spoke from the cross. And it's not that these words are any more important than anything else that Jesus said during his life. 
But these words teach us a lot about the meaning and significance of forgiveness. A forgiveness you can receive from your Father in heaven. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The first point to notice about this remarkable prayer is that Jesus prayed it out of his great love. Here was the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the King of the Jews, the Saviour of the world, the Son of God himself, stretched out on a wooden cross like a common criminal. And in the midst of the physical pain and agony, as they drove the nails into his wrists, he prayed that God would forgive all those involved in this terrible act of murder. His prayer illustrated his great love for mankind. Most people who were crucified were political criminals for the Roman Empire. They hated the Romans and the occupation of their land. And as they were crucified, they would curse and swear and shout abuse at their tormentors. If they could, they would have taken revenge on these soldiers. They would have retaliated. They would have turned the tables on them and paid them back for what they were doing. Well, Jesus did none of this. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. He did not think of revenge or retaliation or paying back evil for evil. Instead, he went far beyond this. Not only did he refrain from revenge, but he actually prayed for their forgiveness. Even in this great physical and spiritual agony, his first thought was not for himself, but for those around him. He knew that he was suffering the judgment of God for human sin. But he also knew that these people would face an eternal judgment for their sin in crucifying the Son of God. And even in his own suffering, he thought of the eternal suffering that awaited them for their evil. So in his great compassion, he prayed for them. He felt pity for these people. He was compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Father, forgive them, he prayed. It is remarkable that Jesus should pray like this. And perhaps that's why his prayer appears in some early manuscripts of the gospel, but not in others. And maybe some of the early copyists thought that this can't be right. That Jesus would not have prayed this, and they so left it out. Yet most commentators agree that this is original and ought to be here. And furthermore, it is consistent with the other teachings of the Lord Jesus. In the Sermon of the Mount, he told us, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And in the Lord's Prayer, he taught us to pray, Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And he told his disciples that they should forgive, and not just seven times, but seventy times seven times. And it is also in fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah 53, verse 12, 
For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is exactly what he was doing here. Even in his agony on the cross, he interceded for those carrying out this great sin. And here we see more evidence of how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Here again is a love that just surpasses all understanding. So this is the first point to notice about this prayer of the Lord Jesus, that he prayed out of his great love and out of his compassion for mankind. And secondly, we should note that Jesus prayed for those responsible for his death. His first words from the cross were a prayer that had a wide perspective as he considered all those involved in his death. And this meant that he prayed for the Jews. This included the religious leaders. They were the ones who had been plotting his death. They were the ones who had arrested him and secretly tried him before the Sanhedrin. They had taken him to Pilate early that Friday morning. They were the ones who had chosen Barabbas instead of Jesus. They were primarily responsible for his death. But the Jewish crowds were also responsible. A large crowd had gathered outside Pilate's palace on that Friday morning. When Pilate wanted to release Jesus, they were the ones who cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! They too were responsible. And Jesus also included in his prayer the Roman centurion and his soldiers. They didn't know much about this Jesus. They had little knowledge of who he was. They weren't interested in the religion of the Jews or their prophecies about the Messiah or their internal religious squabbles. They were only interested in getting the job done and getting home when it was all over. They were drinking and gambling at the foot of the cross. There they were, beneath the cross of Jesus, falling and laughing and joking beneath the cross on which which the Prince of Glory died, beneath the cross of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Jesus prayed for these soldiers. Today, some of us can be like these Roman soldiers. Maybe not so much the gambling and the drinking and partying, um, but fooling around with who Jesus is. We don't take him seriously. We don't give him much thought. We work and study and live without noticing him. Jesus prayed for us too. Father, forgive them. We've seen that Jesus prayed this prayer out of his great love and pity for mankind. We've seen that he also prayed for all those involved in his death. Now thirdly, that he supported his prayer with a reason, for they do not know what they are doing. And Jesus acknowledged that they were ignorant of the enormity of their actions and the full consequences of what they were doing. The religious leaders knew that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God and the Messiah, but they didn't believe him. The Roman soldiers had no idea who Jesus was. To them, he was just another religious fanatic. And this was merely another Jewish argument. No one knew 
they were crucifying the Lord of glory, the Saviour of the world. No one knew that his death and resurrection would be the centre point of all history, that all civilization from then on would be dated back to his birth. They did not know what they were doing. Jesus was not excusing their sin. He wasn't glossing over it. Ignorance is no excuse, we say. And in the Old Testament law, sins committed in ignorance were still sins. Even if they sinned unintentionally, they were still guilty. So too with all those involved in the death of Jesus. They acted in ignorance, but they were still guilty. The soldiers might say that they were only carrying out orders, but they still crucified an innocent man. They still put to death the Son of God himself. Yes, Jesus mentions their ignorance as a mitigating factor. They do not know what they are doing. They did not realize the full significance of their actions. In one of his sermons, the Apostle Paul acknowledged that while their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. What they did was part of the plan of God for the salvation of the world. It had been spoken of by the prophets. And when writing to the church of Corinth, he explained that none of the rulers of this age understood God's wisdom. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And reflecting on his own life, Paul even says that he was shown mercy because he had acted in ignorance and unbelief. Jesus' prayer was motivated by his great compassion for all those involved in his death, recognizing that they did not know what they were doing. And fourthly, he prayed that they might be forgiven. To be forgiven is to have your sins removed. It is to be freed from the guilt and punishment of sin. It is to be released from the condemnation you deserve. It is to be counted as righteous in God's sight. Jesus could ask for that because of his suffering and death on the cross. This is the basis for forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins is possible precisely because of what he was enduring at that moment. He was suffering the judgment of God so that others would not have to face this. God the Father was punishing the sin of all God's people in his Son. And Jesus asked that the Father would apply the benefit of what he was doing on the cross to those around him. This was a fitting prayer for the close of his ministry on earth, because this is what he had come to do. He had come so that people may be forgiven. And the scribes and Pharisees, the Roman soldiers, and you and me were all part of that. He had come to be the saviour of the world, the saviour of all those who would believe in him. We too can be forgiven. We need this forgiveness because the law of God condemns all of us. No one will be made right with God by keeping the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. We do not love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. We do not love our neighbor as we love ourselves. 
We need the cleansing only God can give. And this is possible because of what Jesus did in his death. He took our punishment on himself. Like the Old Testament high priest, he carried the guilt of his people. He interceded for them. And he is still doing this today. He is in heaven today praying for you and me, applying the benefits of his person and work to us so that we may be saved. But forgiveness doesn't happen automatically. It is conditional on repentance and faith. If you want to be forgiven, you must admit your sin and ask God to forgive you. You must confess your sins, for he is faithful and just and will forgive uh, your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you want to be forgiven, you must trust in the saving work of Jesus on the cross. That is the only way to be saved. This That is true for you and for me and for everyone on this earth. That was true for those who crucified Jesus. They too had to repent and believe if they were to be forgiven. And those who are forgiven must also forgive. This prayer of Jesus is an example to us. We must do as he has done. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Forgiving others is not our natural reaction. We are more inclined to retaliate, to take revenge, to hit back. Yet Christians are called to follow the Lord Jesus in his example. No matter, no matter how badly others are treating you, the Lord calls you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And Stephen was able to do that as he was dying by being stoned. He said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. How do you respond when people oppress you and say things against you? Do you bear a grudge and hold resentment? Do you plan revenge and plot retaliation? Or do you pray for your enemies? Do you pray that the Lord might forgive them? Do you ask that they might repent and believe and so be saved? In his prayer, Jesus was asking the Father to give his enemies time to repent, to give them time to recognize what they had done and to confess their sin and to ask for forgiveness. And that reminds us of the parable that Jesus told about the fig tree that was not bearing any fruit. The owner of the vineyard wanted to cut it down, but the manager asked for time. Sir, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. And in his prayer, Jesus prayed for the forgiveness of his enemies. But he also recognized the coming judgment of God. He knew that God was a God of love and justice. And we must recognize this too. God will forgive you if you repent and believe. But if you don't, then you'll have to face the wrath of God on the day of judgment. And God is delaying his judgment to give you and others time to turn to him. That was also true for the Jews. 
The Lord gave the Jews another 40 years to reflect on what they had done to the Messiah, 40 years to recognize their sin and to repent of it. And during these years, God gave them the sign of Pentecost with the coming of the Holy Spirit. He gave them the preaching of the apostles and the witness of thousands of individual believers. We don't know the full effect of this prayer of Jesus. We don't know how many came to repentance and faith as a result of this prayer of intercession. We do know that on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 believed. And we know that a short time later, the number of men grew to about 5,000. And we know that the word of God spread. The number of his disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And we need to pray for this in our day, that many might recognize their sin and turn away from it, believe in the Lord Jesus, and so have their sins forgiven. Do you know that your sins are forgiven through faith in what Jesus has done? If so, will you pass on this good news to others so that they too may know Jesus as their Saviour and Lord. Amen.